Now, Father, we pray that you would anoint us as we proclaim your word, anoint our hearing, our listening, our speaking. May you be glorified, your people blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I want to preach today from the subject, embracing the resurrection, living the great commission. One of the ways we embrace the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one of the ways that we hold it close to our hearts is through living out the Great Commission. Now, after the resurrection, Matthew informs us that Jesus met with his disciples prior to his going up into heaven, and he gave them some specific instructions, gave them specific instructions instructions regarding the ministry they should carry out in his name. Now notice, the disciples and the followers of Jesus did not have to create their job description. You know, most times we go to a new job, right, and they give us a job description. They say, here are the things you, you, you need to do. Or sometimes they'll say, um, you can create a job description. But in this case, they didn't need to create a job description. Jesus had already done it for them. All they needed to do was follow his lead, carry out his guidelines. What Jesus gave his disciples, by the way, that day was not a great option, something that they could take a leave. It was not a great suggestion, something that they could do if they thought it was a good idea. It was not even about being a great proposal, something for them to vote to keep or to uh, dismantle. No, what Jesus gave his disciples that day was a great commission. He gave them a great charge. He gave them a great set of marching orders which they were to faithfully follow on his behalf. The commission Jesus gave was clear and concise. Listen attentively to the words of the great commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, go now, if you will, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Don't leave anyone out regardless of race, creed, color. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And don't miss this. Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. So says Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So there you have it. Uh, the Great Commission is clear, is concise, and indeed is challenging. The Great Commission was challenging because Jesus was calling his disciples and calling his followers to carry out his mandate, his movement, and his mission in an environment that was extremely hostile to his name his memory, his influence, his teaching, and certainly his followers. It would not have been a challenge had it been easy if everyone would have just accepted him and, and, and loved his name. But it was challenging because he, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, lived in a very hostile environment. Thus, the chief priest, you remember him, Caiaphas, uh, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees who made up the Sanhedrin Council, the religious Supreme Court that uh, influenced the people to condemn Jesus. It was hostile because of Caesar, who was paranoid and afraid of anybody else in leadership. And then there was Pilate. Uh, and every other misguided, misinformed, mistaken adversary of Jesus who would all react, respond, retort hatefully and even violently towards any mention of his name and of his influence. That's the reason why it was a very challenging commission. So disciples had a choice. Uh, they could live the Great Commission as Jesus told them, you know, to go therefore and make disciples, to evangelize, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell people that he suffered and bled and died in order to save them from their sins and and, and, and to tell them that he had risen from the dead, to tell them that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one Isaiah spoke of and other prophets, um, they, they could live out the Great Commission by doing what Jesus instructed them to do, by accepting the charge. You know, we sing that song sometimes, a charge to keep our half, and a God to, to glorify who gave his son my soul to save and fit it for the sky to serve the present age. This present age is my calling to fulfill all, may it all, my powers engaged to do my master's will. They could do that. Or they could play it safe. Put the whole message, the mandate, the ministry of Jesus behind them and try to forget the past three years they had spent with him, the master, try to put it out of their mind, try to try to distance themselves from the past three years they spent listening to him teach, watching him heal the sick and, 
and, and raised the dead and, and, and witnessed how he showed compassion towards the least, the less, the lost, the disenfranchised, the, the hurting, the, the heartbroken. They had a choice to make. The choice was either live out the Great Commission, live out the charge that Jesus gave them, or try to return to some sense of a normal life that they had once known. Well, because we have the biblical records and other historical documents, we know that the disciples were faithful followers of Jesus. There were men and women who committed their lives to him. They were faithful to him. They took up the mantle and they did just what Jesus told them to do. And in essence, they faithfully lived out the great commission until death. Now, here we are some 2,000 years later. Here we are uh, just a few Sundays away from celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says and reminds us that Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Here we are 2,000 years from the day Jesus made this declaration and we as a church and we as a body of believers in Jesus Christ and we as individual Christians have a choice to make. Either to live out the Great Commission or... Go along, perhaps, to get along or deny him. Notice verse 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here's some help for us. Jesus makes it clear that he is the sovereign Leader, Here's some encouragement for us as we take up the mantle, as we decide whether or not we are going to live out the Great Commission. Jesus makes it clear that he is the sovereign leader. He, he answers to no boards. He answers to no committees, to no agency, to no group, to no team, to no faction, to no panel, to no person. Yes, you see, all authority given unto Jesus means that he is absolutely, positively, unquestionably in charge. That ought to help us stand firm and make our decision to live for him. He, he's absolutely, positively, unquestionably in charge. He is really the sovereign ruler. No matter what comes out of Washington, uh, no matter what comes from Tallahassee, no matter what comes from local government, Jesus is sovereign Lord. 
He said, all authority has been given unto me. You see, the disciples, as well as those of us today, need to hear that truth. The disciples needed to hear that truth. They needed their minds marinated in that truth. They needed their hearts saturated with that truth. In order that their anxious fears subside, they needed to hear that truth. Because, indeed, they would have, after all that happened, troubling thoughts, considerations, contemplations, deliberations. But they needed to hear the truth of the authority of Jesus. Because they needed all of their deliberation, contemplations, considerations bathed in the soothing waters of knowing, come what may, Jesus has got this. That's what verse 18 said. It's loaded. Verse 18 is a loaded verse. Verse 18 says, come what may, Jesus. He's got this. After all, he does have all power. That's, that's what he said. If you believe that he has all authority, then you must believe that he's got this. That's how it is with us. You see, before we can really get on with the business of living the great commission before we will have the courage the nerve the audacity to do life like Jesus commands us to do life we need to reconcile in our minds and resolve in our hearts that Jesus has all power and that by his power He provides for us, he protects us, and he gives us peace as only he can. But first we got to deal with verse 18, the reality of his authority. Last week as I rode along, I saw a sign I'd seen before. It was a sign advertising to lawyers. Had their pictures up there. They looked to be pretty convincing, pretty convincing men. Saw a picture of a lawyer. They've taken it down now, but and uh, pretty convincing picture. But the caption by this picture stated, "Quote: We got this." That's what it said about this picture. It said, we, we, we got this. Well, I submit to you that this statement is indicative of the countless superiority complexes of men and women running rampant these days. People in positions acting like they're God. Promising to do things as though they are God. 
in essence, the attitude of misguided men and women declares, leave it to us. Put it in our hands. We can handle it. Let me have it. I got this. But listen to what God says in Jeremiah 17 and 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Did you get that? Trust. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Jeremiah is saying that, that, that cursed is the one who places confidence and faith in man, in woman, in the flesh, who has no heart for the power and the authority of God. But here's the good news. Verses 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man, or woman for that matter, who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in God. Did you get that? Blessed is a man or woman who trusts in the Lord and whose heart is in God, for he or she shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear ah, when heat comes. How many of us are fearing when the heat comes? Jeremiah says that those who trust in the sovereign Lord, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me, will not fear when the heat comes. Jeremiah continues to say, but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease from yielding fruit. Now, on this same topic of trusting in the all-powerful nature of Jesus, hymn writer George Duffield wrote, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. Duffield wrote, and I quote, The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not. Did you get that? You dare not trust your own. We don't have to. Because verse 18 is about trusting in Jesus. Now, once we buy into the reality of his ultimate authority, we are able to move forward, live in the great commission. But we got to deal with Verse 18, his ultimate authority. If we don't believe that Jesus has ultimate authority, if we don't believe he has the power to provide, to protect, and to forgive us, and to give us peace, we cannot move on. So what is living the Great Commission all about? Three things. First, living the Great Commission is about telling. 
Living the Great Commission is about telling. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's talking about telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. The first step in living the Great Commission is sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with people in hopes that they will come to know him as Savior and Lord of their lives. We ought to tell people about Jesus with our lips as well as with our lives. We ought to speak about his grace. We ought to speak about his goodness. We ought to speak about his mercy every time we have an opportunity to do so. We ought to tell people about how we were sinking deep in sin and how Jesus saved us. We ought to share the words like the Samaritan woman after she had a genuine encounter with Jesus, ran back to her town and told everybody who gave her an audience in John 4, 29, come see a man who told me everything I did. We ought to be telling the story. That's living the Great Commission. That's, that's embracing the resurrection. That's living out the Great Commission, telling the story. We ought to tell the story like the blind man in John chapter 9 who did not have, by the way, a theological degree. Was not a member of any elite religious group. But when asked about how he got healed, he said to the critics, of Jesus. In other words, I know you all are calling him a sinner, and I know you are saying that he is not the Son of God. But one thing I know I don't know all about what you're talking about, whether he's a sinner or not in your minds. I don't know, and I can't answer that. But one thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. About the beginning of January 1748, a slave trader on a voyage to England was startled out of his sleep by a violent storm. He attempted to reach the deck where he watched a man fall overboard. For four long weeks, the sailor and the crew of this disabled vessel were tossed and driven at the mercy of the wind and the waves and every day death stared them in the face he confessed on that ship his sins and he trusted his soul to Jesus Christ as wretched as he was, as hateful as he was, as decrepit as he was. With all of the sin and dirt he had done, he confessed his faith in Jesus. And that day, Jesus saved his soul. By the grace and mercy of God, the ship reached the port safely. That sailor, we know him today as John Newton, emerged as a new creature in Christ. 
And it was from that salvific encounter with Jesus, the living Lord, that Newton told his story beginning in the 1700s. And though he is long gone, his story is still heard. The words of a hymn he wrote, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton told the story. Do you see the picture? We live the Great Commission not by being silent, not by stepping away. But we live the Great Commission by telling the story of Jesus and his love. Secondly, we live the Great Commission by teaching. First, we live it by telling. Second, we live it by teaching. Look at verse 20 where Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The church individually and collectively is charged by Jesus with the responsibility of teaching people his holy word. For you see, once people receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and once they are baptized, which is an outward sign indicative of an inward change, they are to be taught the word, the way, and the will of Jesus. A disciple is a follower and a teachable follower at that. And so when we place our faith in the finished work of Christ alone on Calvary's cross, we become his disciples. And as disciples, we are in a constant state of growing and developing more and more in his image. And that, to a large degree, has to do with teaching and being taught. The church is the Christ-centered, the Christ-commissioned, and the Christ-ordained, the Christ-anointed and appointed living organism empowered to teach people to be more like Jesus. That's the reason why we have Sunday school. That's the reason why we have Christian education. That's the reason why much of some of our budget, a good portion of our budget goes into Christian education because teaching is a part of living the Great Commission. Third, living the Great Commission is about trusting. First, it's about, teach, about telling. Second, it's about teaching. Third, it's about trusting. Notice verse 20b where Jesus declares, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice, if you will, the, the verbal strategy of Jesus as he skillfully placed his great commission between two bookends, as I call them. Prior to giving the great commission, notice again, Jesus says to his followers, you can trust me. Isn't that what he said? He says, all authority is given unto me. What he's saying is, 
you can trust me. Before he gives them their marching orders, he says, you can trust me. It's a lot easier to, to receive marching orders from someone we can trust. In the military, when soldiers can trust their commanders, it is easier for him or her to follow. On your job, when you can trust your supervisor, it's easier for you to follow what they want you to do. So Jesus says right up front before he gives them a word of instruction, a charge, a commission, he says, all authority is given unto me. In other words, you can trust me because I have all power. Then at the conclusion of his commission, verse 20, Jesus says, you can trust me because I'm ever present. Did you get that? We're in the middle of his all-powerful nature and his ever-present nature. The ever-presentness of Jesus was qualified, verified, bona fide, and solidified when he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means when we go, When we preach, when we teach, when we baptize, when we support missions locally and globally, when we walk the walk and talk the talk, when we are truly his disciples, Jesus says, I will be with you. Now, to be sure, there will be mountains to climb. There will be valleys to scale. There will be rivers to to cross. There will be high tides and low tides. There will be sunshine and rain. But through it all, through it all, remember, through it all, remember Jesus says, Lo, surely I am with you always. So never give up. Never give in. Never give out. Because he said, lo, I'm with you always. Dark clouds of doubt, doom, depression, disillusionment may rise. Strong winds of adversity, aggravation, assault, a sickness may blow in your direction. But remember he said, When you go to the doctor, remember he said, when you face your accusers, remember he said, when trouble is in your way, remember he says, when you are doubtful, when you are depressed, when you become disillusioned, remember he said. With all of the bad news at times coming out of Washington, coming out of Tallahassee, coming from Syria, coming from around the world, coming even from your own family, remember he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wait a minute, as I 
tried to conclude this text. I, I, I wanted to get I wanted to get finished. I, I wanted to bring this. I wanted to bring this uh, to a close as I worked on this manuscript. But the Holy Spirit arrested me because I read where it says, Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But look in your Bibles. There's one more word. And the word is amen. The promises of God are yes and amen. Amen means so be it. Amen means God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Amen means you can count on it. Amen means don't wait till the battle is over. Amen means shout now. Amen means tell the Lord thank you right now. Amen means praise his holy name right now. No matter what you're going through, what the future looks like, praise his holy name. Amen means recognizing that Jesus, not those lawyers, Jesus, not men or women, Jesus, has got this. 